0: Welcome to Cycle Systems Online Podcast. We've got another short one today. I'm trying to do some more of these bite-sized podcasts, really just to stimulate your thoughts and feelings and a bit of debate and discussion on social media, and also a chance for you guys to feedback and educate me. We'll be having guests on as well. But today, I wanted to give you some thoughts on mountain bike design, what's out there at the moment, Some thoughts on me as an old man, you know, 49 quite soon, or 49 actually when this podcast is out, the sort of bikes I like to ride, the sort of bikes the youth are riding, and of course, what is out there on the the race circuit, you know, and, and being pushed on that side of things. So the World Cup has just started. As I speak, we're just about into the third round of the World Cup in um, downhill and fourth round in cross-country. And it's been really, really interesting to see because Trek and Specialised have both gone for much shorter travel at the back end of their cross-country race rigs. Um, Whether we're talking either brand, they're essentially bringing the rear wheel travel right down to sort of 60 mil, 65 mil, specialised going even further and having basically a sagless design, you know, almost like a soft tail type design, albeit with a shock and a pivot. And the idea is that it replaces a hard tail, you know, so it's essentially a bike that rides like a hard tail, but with a little bit of compression, you know, if, if not sagging there. And what was really interesting in the first, uh, well, in the rounds, cross-country round in Lenzerheide here in Switzerland, pretty much all the specialised athletes were racing the 120, the Epic Evo, you know, the downcountry bike, because they actually wanted some sack in there and they wanted travel for the, let's face it, really quite hardcore um, descent that you have in cross-country racing nowadays. So, if the cross country racers are rejecting these designs, it's not being that great. And certainly, the people that I know who are doing long term tests, long term reviews of these bikes, no one's convinced yet of a, a soft tail, semi hard tail, you know, quite design is the thing for 2023. I mean, remember the first specialized brain shock on the first Epic, which was completely locked out until you hit a bump and it opened up. Even then, that design was not popular. You know, it's like people had got used to riding full suspension by then, and people wanted active travel, but by the first hit, not after the first hit, which would, you know, it would hit you like a, a hard tail. For those of you that don't remember, you know, people riding these Epics were literally standing on the pedals and bouncing the bike to get the suspension active before the first hit. So not something that's that great in a cross-country race or even riding a trail. So essentially, it looks like all mountain bikes are going for longer travel. And what that is doing is bringing in much more complex suspension designs i mean everything changes everything evolves and what's really fascinating is to see these quite complex electronically controlled suspension designs now where say for example a cross-country race bike can have 120 maybe even more travel can have a really decent amount of sag in there which is the amount the shock and fork compresses when you sit on the bike and that, that's going to allow the wheels to actually drop down into any roots or holes or what have you when you're riding, which means the wheels stay in contact with the ground. You retain traction. It's what suspension's all about. But with the electronic-controlled systems that we've seen from shocks and the like, what we have is the ability to make sure that the bikes are still incredibly active and... Um, supple in the big hits but they're also being stiff enough for the racing on the the fire roads or even paved sections so of course as a mechanic you're always aware of extra complexity working with e-bikes i'm incredibly aware of the extra problems electronics in a bike that brings in terms of firmware updates compatibility parts failing inexplicably and of course needing extremely complex proprietary parts just to make the bike work so you know if you are buying into any of these electronically controlled systems just be aware that there's potentially with a price in terms of no pun intended because they're all very expensive but just in terms of the maintenance in terms of looking after it in terms of keeping riding is it the bike for you if you're racing on the World Cup and you're sponsored with the best mechanics and backup in the world and a truck behind you, it's probably worth, well, it definitely is worth every advantage you can get. If you're buying a bike you know, with your own hard-earned money, you're gonna to have to pay for servicing yourself or you're gonna do the servicing yourself. You might wanna look at something just a bit more simple, essentially. So certainly, For anyone that listened to the podcast I did about taking a gravel bike into the Alps, certainly the 40-tooth up front and 42-tooth smaller sprocket at the back was way too high of gear. The 40-mil tyres were too narrow. The geometry of the bike was wrong. The drop bars were a bit scary on the really steep, rocky descents. What I needed going up and down the Alpine passes was of course a mountain bike (laughs) the gravel bikes are great on gravel tracks and roads but it gets a bit interesting in a type 2 way when you take them onto proper mountain bike trails so I have been looking around I'm kind of in between mountain bikes at the moment although one of my colleagues has just lent me his incredible 2021 specialized stunt jumper with carbon everything and 29 inch wheels and such So I look forward to riding that, and I'll report back on my experiences there in the Alps. But essentially, just looking around, I think I'm definitely beyond hardtails. Although I love hardtails, I love steel hardtails. I like the look. I like how they feel. I like how you can just jump on and ride, and there's not that much to worry about, and it's nice and easy to keep clean, et cetera but kind of done with being smashed all over the place on the trails and the back end leaping everywhere. Um, Having said that, I'd rather ride a hardtail with a dropper post than a full suspension bike without one. We're still seeing cross-country racers, at least in some races, riding their full-sus bikes, but without a dropper post. So rather you than me, guys. But certainly a full suspension And while the whole downcountry thing had me scratching my noggin when it came out, I've now realized that a downcountry bike is just a trail bike for people who actually want to ride their bike as a cyclist, you know? If you're like me and the idea of mountain biking is exploring the countryside, riding up hills as well as down them, not necessarily having to focus laser-like on every centimeter of trail, the downcountry bike is what you want, you know, 120 mil of travel, maybe a little bit more. Um, relatively lightweight, you know, because it's based in the cross-country world, so it's not too bad to pedal uphill, but really capable downhill with modern geometry, stack at the front, steep at the seat, and and you know, long wheelbase with a low bottom bracket. So that's certainly you know the kind of mountain bike I'll be buying next. But You know, money notwithstanding, I'll probably always have a steel hardtail set around, you know, as a a winter bike, essentially. And certainly when you speak, you know, I've I've got a teenage son and you speak to the teenagers. All they're looking for is something that's going to smash the trail park uh, as fast as possible. So they're definitely looking at different types of bikes. For me, the sort of bikes that would be pretty brutal to ride uphill. And modern trail bikes, of course, are fine for riding uphill. There's quite a big difference between fine and awesome. And maybe it's my roadie background, but I love to really fly up a hill. I quite like technical climbing, et cetera. But certainly, you know, just personally speaking, the type of bikes that are designed to go up in an uplift and to be thrashed down a predetermined trail like you're at a ski resort Kind of leave me cold. So I'm going to um, ask Chana Hoogland from International Mountain Bike Magazine to come on the podcast again just to give you the lowdown on all of that. Gubbins, because it's not the sort of bike that interests me to ride and I'm not following the tech that closely. In terms of maintenance, well, yes, everything's going internal, everything's going electronic, you know, at least the cable um, shifting systems. Still quite big in mountain biking just because we tend to smash things (laughs) quite a lot in mountain biking, and the replacement components are pretty expensive in the electronic systems. Um, thank god, mountain bike tubeless is really completely sorted now. I've been quite interested as in tire foam liners, uh, maybe not quite as popular as they were on the race circuit because of the development of tires and rims, and I think that's good for a lot of you know, home mechanics and general riders, because the foam inserts certainly are, can be quite challenging to fit anyway. So essentially the mountain bikes um, that are out there at the moment in terms of the biggest sellers is the e-mountain bikes. You know, we can't really talk mountain biking without talking e-mountain bikes. What was really interesting is doing a bit of chain and drivetrain research recently, is Adam Kerrien, our friend from Zero Friction Cycling, he said that e-mountain bikes eat drivetrains like nothing else. You know, So essentially, if you're running um, an e-bike and you can hear some great podcasts in our Back Issues with Mike Stead, where Mike talks about this, you're riding off-road with all of this torque and load from your motor, going into the chain with the silker from the mud or the dust and such getting into the drivetrain, it can wear stuff out incredibly quickly. And there are e-mountain bikes out there that have been specced with 12-speed and such, which have, you know, actually is certainly been designed with incredible amount of robustness. The cost of the replacement parts are massive. And we really, really love the Shimano Q's system for e-mountain bikes or even standard mountain bikes. It is a bit heavier than um, completely standard equipment, but the great thing about it is it's so reasonable in terms of the price. So if you're running an e-mountain bike with a standard chain cassette type drivetrain, as almost everyone is, then definitely the Shimano Qs is what I'd be looking for in an e-mountain bike. What else would I be looking for? Well, I'd be looking for reliability and really good dealer support, mechanic support as ever. So to be honest, Bosch seems to be the no-brainer in terms of motor systems, in terms of the amount of support, in terms of the reliability, in terms of lack of issues that we're seeing certainly we're seeing a tremendous amount of bikes come back with warranty after warranty after warranty, you know, on the motors, on the brakes, on the horns, on the batteries, et cetera. None of those are Bosch bikes. So I'd certainly be going, you know, for one of the Bosch systems. I was getting a mountain bike system. And again, I personally would be getting the, the simplest system possible so, you know, avoiding anything with engine sensors in the brakes, avoiding anything with ABS in the brakes, in the front brake, etc. cetera. There really is a lot more going on there, guys. It's going to cause you a lot more problems and expense for really not a huge amount of extra benefit, not something that would bother me anyway. In terms of um, e-mountain bikes for... The equipment, I'd always go for, you know, um, something with larger tyres, wider tyres. I really like the the 27 plus tyres on e-mountain bikes or a mullet. So 29, you know, 2.6 on the front and a 27.53 or something on the back. I think really, really works well. Bigger tyre on the back, especially a wider one, really helps with grip you know all that power you may as well have a good amount of grip in there as well so incre- you know that's going to be you know the future if it isn't already certainly out out here in the alps in switzerland we are seeing way way more e-mountain bikes than acoustic bikes essentially so you avoid that at your peril but as ever thanks for listening Be really interested to hear your thoughts on mountain bike technology for 2023 as we're speaking at the moment coming into 2024 like I say we'll get John Hoogland in from International Mountain Bike Magazine to talk about the latest trends at the gnarlier end of mountain biking but for now see you next time bye bye